Amen. Our, uh, our scripture reading this morning comes from um, Ruth, the third chapter, starting with verse 16. Now, those of you uh, that forgot your homework assignment and did not read the book of Ruth, there is grace for you here. I'm going to, I'm going to explain where we are in the story um, and what got us to these verses. Now, um, when Naomi and Ruth return to Bethlehem, um, they uh, wind up gleaning in the fields of a man named Boaz. Now, gleaning is an ancient practice in Israel um, where uh, the wealthy landowners are commanded in the Bible not to, uh, not to um, uh, take, the, uh, take the harvest from the uh, corners of their field, to leave the corners of the field untouched. And uh, if during harvest, when they're uh, bundling up um, uh, the grain, if anything falls behind, they're supposed to leave it there. Um, so that uh, 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 the foreigners can come in, so that uh, the poor can come in, um, uh, widows and orphans, and, uh, and take what they need from the fields out of the leftovers. And uh, so during harvest time, uh, people uh, would be gleaning in the fields um, to, uh, uh, who didn't own land um, to, uh, to take what they could get uh, from the fields. And so Naomi and Ruth are gleaning in the field of a man named Boaz, who is distant family. And, um, and they're gleaning in his field because they feel like he'll take care of them. And Boaz takes notice of Ruth. He notices um, her kindness uh, to her mother-in-law. And um, so he, uh, he pays Ruth special favor. Um, he commands his hired hands, um, leave a little extra behind, drop a little extra behind when you see Ruth, uh, so she has more to gather up. And uh, he, he also tells Ruth, hey, um, if, you, uh, if, if you need something to drink, um, go ahead and drink um, from, the, uh, from the same jugs that my hired hands drink from. Um, and uh, he also tells Ruth that uh, you have my special protection. Go ahead and glean in my field, and my hired hands will protect you. Um, uh, because uh, for uh, a woman gleaning in the field, she would be particularly, particularly vulnerable. Now, Naomi notices Boaz noticing Ruth, and she hatches a plan. She says to Ruth, um, I think we can improve all of our conditions. <laughs> Um, if, uh, if, if we get you a husband and, um, and if this husband is Boaz. And so they hatch a plan. Um, they get Ruth all dolled up, um, uh, uh, having the best perfume on, um, her hair's washed, and she goes to Boaz in the middle of the night. Um, so that it won't be scandalous, so people won't uh, see Boaz uh, 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 consorting one-on-one uh, with the woman. And so uh, she goes in the middle of the night, and she asked Boaz to spread his cloak over her. And um, in ancient Israel, um, that was how you proposed to someone. You spread uh, your cloak over them. And, um, and so uh, Ruth essentially proposes to Boaz. Says, go ahead and spread that cloak over me. Um, let's get married. And um, Boaz wants to. Um, he spreads his cloak over her, but he says, first, 
um, we need to uh, we need to get our I's dotted and our T's crossed, and that's where we find ourselves this morning, starting with uh, three sixteen. Hear now the word of our Lord. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law Naomi, when Ruth came to her mother-in-law, <laughs> I'm having trouble with that sentence. I'm going to try again. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me these six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter, until you find out what happens, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat there. When the kinsman redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, Come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, Sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the kinsman redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our brother Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these Sigig here, and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has a right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption of, and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So, the kinsman redeemer said to Boaz, Buy it yourself and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, Today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with this property, so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from the town records. Today you are my witnesses." Then the elders and those at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. Then he went to her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord this day who has not left you without a kinsman redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child, laid him in her lap and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son, and they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This is the word of the Lord. 
May it find its way into our hearts and lives this morning by the power of His Holy Spirit. Amen. What I'm about to tell you is a fact of life. I don't think it would be controversial to anyone here, but I'm just going to lay it out. 20-year-olds are stupid. <laughs> anyone disagree? Any rebuttal? Didn't think so. Yeah, uh, 20-year-olds are pretty stupid. Um, I can remember when I was a 20-year-old um, some stupid things that I did. I'm sure uh, many of you can think back to your 20s, um, especially uh, especially those of you that are of the male persuasion, uh, can probably think back to your 20s and think of some stupid things you did. Um, probably uh, the stupidest thing I did as a 20-year-old um, was uh, beginning a life of crime. Um, it started, uh, innocently enough, with a $15 check to Oasis Pizza. Now, I had just moved off of campus. I was in college. I had just moved off of campus into uh, my first apartment and had uh, spent um, all, of my, uh, all of my money uh, paying for um, the first month's rent and the deposit on this new apartment, and uh, my bank account was empty. And I wrote a $15 check to Oasis Pizza uh, because I really wanted some hot, greasy pizza in my new apartment. Well, all of my mail um, was still going um, to my campus address. And when this $15 check bounced, um, the, uh, the mail started coming um, to, uh, to that address and that campus inbox that was filled with all kinds of other mail that wasn't being read. And, um, and it, was, uh, it was letter after letter explaining, we ran your $15 check. Um, we've added a $30 charge for it bouncing. We're going to run it again. Uh, we just ran your check again. There's another $30 charge. Um, at, at, at the end of this process, um, when, when they finally decided not to run the check anymore, uh, this $15 check had become a $105 problem unbeknownst to me, out of sight, out of mind in this inbox. Um, one day I'm sitting uh, in uh, my apartment um, on the couch with my then-girlfriend, and um, there comes a knock on the door. And uh, I uh, open the door, and it's a police officer. And um, he basically says, unless you have $105, you're coming with me. And... I didn't, and so um, because I was surrendering myself, um, I got to ride in the front of the police car, um, but uh, rode down um, to the city holding cell. We didn't have like an actual jail or a prison, but there was a holding cell there in the city, and um, they uh, locked me up, and there I was in that holding cell. And it was, it was real. It's like stone bench. It's closed up. There were like, like swastikas on the wall. Like it was a, it was, it was a real deal. And, uh, and I remember sitting there thinking, what am I going to do? I've seen movies. Eventually they're going to give me a call, right? So I'm going to get my call. Who am I going to call? I know it can't be my parents. 
I mean, they could solve this problem, but it can't be my parents. Um, because on top of this $105 charge, now there's like a, like a $250 to bail me out, and this uh, thing has snowballed to about $355. Who am I going to call that has this kind of money that I wouldn't be mortified to call? What am I going to do? And I started thinking, this is how it begins. I'm going to be here forever. I'm going to have to do time for this. And when I come out, I can't be a youth pastor anymore. I'll have to be a rapper or something. I don't know. <laughs> have you been there? I mean, not in a holding cell. I'm sure none of you have been in a holding cell. But have you been in that place where you're sort of in this prison of your own making and you need someone to do for you what you cannot do for yourself? You feel stuck. You feel trapped. Uh, it, maybe it's all your fault. Maybe it's all your neglect and you feel trapped. You need someone to do for you what you cannot do for yourself. You simply don't have the money or the resources or the willpower or whatever it is to get yourself out of this situation. You see, if you've been in that situation, if you've been in that situation where you need someone to pay for you what you cannot pay for yourself, then you've been in need of redemption. You've been the one who needs to be redeemed. The story of uh, the king of Prussia, Frederick the Great. He's going around the kingdom and he's, uh, he's touring all of his prison facilities. And, uh, and as he's touring the prison facilities, um, people find out really quickly, uh, word spreads among the inmates that the king is there. And they get excited uh, because this is the man that has the power to pardon him. And as the king of Prussia uh, goes by all the jail cells, people are calling out to him, I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I was framed. And uh, as the king of, of Prussia goes by all these uh, jail cells, he gets pretty used to hearing everyone call out their case. They all have their own special circumstances, their own reasons for how they wound up in this jail cell wrongfully. And the king passes on. Well, Frederick the Great passes one of these jail cells and uh, he's kind of stopped in his tracks because this is the only jail cell where someone's not calling out their case to him. And he peers into the jail cell and there in the back on the stone bench is a man just sort of looking down at his feet. And, uh, and he says to the man, hey, uh, don't you want to call out your case to me? You know I'm the king and I have the power to pardon, don't you? And the man says, I dig everything they accuse me of. This is where I belong. And King Frederick the Great of Prussia turns to his guards and says, Free this guilty man at once. He'll corrupt all the innocents. You see, I believe it's only when we realize that we're getting exactly what we deserve that we can start to make that turn around that we can start to be redeemed. 
but redemption is what all of us at some point in our lives need. And if you haven't experienced it yet, it's probably coming. A time when you will need redemption. In the book of Ruth, the word redeem, some version of it occurs about 20 times in 85 verses. It's a major theme, this, uh, this need for redemption. First of all, there's a piece of land that needs to be redeemed. It belonged to Elimelech before, uh, before he left uh, Bethlehem to go to Moab. And now someone needs to claim it. And the person who has the right to claim the dead man's property is his closest of kin. Someone needs to redeem this land so it won't lie fallow. So that, so that it can produce a harvest again. So that people can live on it again. This land needs to be redeemed. Naomi finds herself in need of redemption. Someone needs to claim her as a mother-in-law. Someone needs to claim Naomi so, so, that, so that she can be restored, so that she can have a family again, so that so that, that house that, that, that is filled with, with mourning can be filled with laughter again. So that instead of being destitute, picking up people's leftovers, she can have her land again to live on. She is in need of redemption. She needs someone to do for her what she cannot do for herself. Ruth is in need of redemption. She needs a husband. Being, being a foreigner, being a woman, being poor, she is extremely vulnerable. She needs, she needs a man that is going to, to take her under his wing and provide her and protect her and give her the kind of life that, that, that her kindness merits. She is in need of redemption. We talked about this last week. During the period of the judges, the whole nation of Israel was in need of redemption because they did not have a king. They did what was right in their own eyes. They were a people that needed to be redeemed. So how did they decide? Who is the rightful redeemer? Who does this land belong to? Who does uh, Naomi, who claims Naomi as a mother-in-law? Who claims Ruth as a wife? This, this, this had to be decided before they could go further. And so what you and I would do, if we had a legal case that needed decided, we'd go to the courthouse. Um, in the ancient world, in ancient Israel, you made a courthouse. Um, all the legal transactions in town uh, happened at the town gate in the presence of witnesses. And so this is what Boaz does. He assembles, uh, he assembles uh, ten elders at the town gate um, so that, uh, so that this, uh, this dispute can be settled. And then the kinsman redeemer comes. This, uh, this, this man who uh, has the, the better claim to the property. And Boaz says to him, 
friend, come sit down. We never get the kinsman redeemer's name. The word that's translated as friend, I love this, Pelongi almoni. Pelongi almoni. It sounds like an Italian dish. Like I just made you Pelongi almoni. And what Pelongi almoni means is such and such, so and so. Basically fill in the blank, right? We never get this guy's name. He's just called so-and-so. Come over here, so-and-so, and sit. Because you see, Boaz is about to be made famous in all of Israel, and this other guy is just known for eternity as the other guy, Peloni Almoni, so-and-so. And so, um, first Boaz... Uh, confronts Peloni Almoni, says, here's this land, you have the claim to it, do you want it? And Peloni Almoni says, of course I want it. Uh, who doesn't want more land? And um, then Boaz says, about that. With the land um, also comes this Moabite wife. And then so-and-so gets spooked. Um, he begins to worry, hey, if, uh, if, if, if I reclaim this land um, in, 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 in the name of Elimelech and I die and my only sons are by Ruth, then all that, all that land will pass out of my household and into Elimelech's household. And so he begins to worry that his estate will be endangered. And so he says, I can't take that risk. Um, you go ahead and take the land and take the Moabite woman as your wife. And this is, of course, what Boaz wanted all along. And so to seal the deal, Peloni Almoni takes off his shoe and he hands it to Boaz. And what this symbolized is this shoe is my right to walk on this land. This shoe is my right to stand on this land. This shoe is covered with the dust of the land that belongs to me, and I'm giving it to you, right? That's what the sandal ceremony is about. Now, this land and the shoe that comes with it is yours. And so they seal the deal, and everyone is redeemed. The land is claimed it will no longer lie fallow, um, uh, it, it will begin to produce harvest again. Naomi will be taken care of. Boaz will claim Naomi as a mother-in-law. Um, and Ruth has her husband. And because of these actions, baby Obed will uh, get married and they will have baby Jesse who will get married and they will have baby David, who becomes king of all Israel. And so through this action, the land of Israel is redeemed. It has its rightful redeemer king. And so Boaz comes forward as the rightful redeemer. So the question before us this morning, you and I, who is our rightful redeemer? Who is it that has the rightful claim on us? And how do we know? Is it Peloni Almoni? Is it so-and-so? Is it fill in the blank? Think for just a second. How would you fill in that blank? 
Who is your Polonial Moni? Who has the rightful claim on your time, on your energy, on your resources? Is it your stuff? Does your life revolve around just acquiring stuff so you can acquire more stuff? Is it the endless pursuit of the dollar so you can reach your next goal in life, so you can reach the next tier in life? Is it your job? Do you live so you can work? Is your identity so consumed with what you do? This is a, this is a big temptation for people in ministry. Right? You become a pastor and then you start to think of yourself as a pastor. Right? Um, just uh, three or four months ago, no one ever put reverend in front of my name. And now, just because y'all hired me reverend, Nagleton, right? Start thinking of yourself as a pastor. And, uh, and, and you wrap your identity around that. And then what happens when you fail? What happens when you feel like you preach the same sermon week after week after week and no one leaves change? What happens when people decide you're not effective? What happens when you decide that you're burnt out, that you can't keep up with the pace? And then you've wrapped your identity around that thing. And then you're not that thing anymore. What are you? talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Some of us would fill in the blank with escapism, whatever it is we do to get away from life. For some people, it's, it's their hobby. For some people, it's their screens. For far too many people in our community, it's opioids and other drugs. That thing that they use to escape, and that is the thing that has to claim on their life. That is the thing that, that their life revolves around. It can be something very specific for you. Your Peloni Almoni, your fill in the blank. But the question is still before us. Who is our rightful redeemer and how would we know? How would we know? So I was sitting there in that uh, holding cell and uh, wondering what I was going to do. Wondering, by the way, when they were going to let me call somebody. Um, I'd probably been there for about 40 minutes and um, uh, busy planning my rap career and um, just how my life was going to go from there. And... Uh, the door swings open. And it's my girlfriend at the time, a woman named Crystal Bowling. Um, and uh, she has moved around everything in her bank account. And she has paid my bail. And she has uh, paid for that, um, that, that bounce check. And I was 20. I was stupid. But even I knew this woman loves me and I need to marry this woman. And so I did. 
The rightful redeemer is the one that loves you. The rightful redeemer is the one that loves you. That there is no cost too high worth gigging you out of yourself for. The rightful redeemer is the one that loves you. See, Boaz was taking on the same risk. Boaz was risking his household to, to, to take on Naomi as a mother-in-law. By the way, we're told she was a bitter mother-in-law. I won't ask you to raise your hands if you know what it's like to have a bitter mother-in-law, but, but uh, it is taking on something, right? And he was willing to do that because he was in love. He was in love. He loved this woman named Ruth, and there was no price too high to free her from her situation. He was willing to take the risk. And we got King David out of that. But if we go, if we go uh, uh, five more generations and then five more generations, we also got King Jesus out of that, out of that one risk. We got this world's true and rightful redeemer. The one we're reminded of in Romans 5, 8, that he proves his own love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See, it's Christ who is our rightful redeemer. It is Christ who loves us so much that he is willing to give everything, that there is no cost too high. So... There was another man sitting in a jail cell, the Apostle Paul. It was towards the end of his life. He was sitting in a jail cell, and he had some time to think. He was thinking about his favorite church, not the Corinthians. They gave him nothing but trouble. But he was thinking about his favorite church, probably one of the first churches he ever worked at. It was the church in Philippi. And so he decided to write them a letter. And he writes them a letter, and in his letter, he tells them this. Philippians 2, verse 6. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Why is Christ our King this Sunday? Why is Christ our rightful Redeemer? Because he humbled himself. He became obedient to the point of death on the cross. Because there was no cost too high that he wouldn't pay to have his beloved free. When I um, think of Christ's death on the cross, I can't help but 
think of this true story, and it's the best true story I ever heard. It's, um, it's about this little girl who's in desperate need of a blood transfusion. Uh, she's about eight years old, and she needs this transfusion to live. And the problem is she's got one of those rare blood types, and so they're looking around who in the family can give her this transfusion. And they discover pretty quickly it's her little brother. He's six years old. And the parents really don't want to ask him to do it. Um, they're afraid that for a six-year-old that, that doing a transfusion would be too traumatic and um, maybe there's someone else in the family, maybe some uncle or something that we've not thought of. Um, but they decide to ask the boy, hey, your sister needs your blood so she can live. Would you be willing to, um, to, to, to do this transfusion? The boy thinks about it. And he bravely said, yes, I'll do it. Right? And so they, uh, they laid the boy there in a gurney. Um, the sister's in the hospital bed. Um, they hook her up for the transfusion. And, uh, of course, um, they're, they're wanting to see the sister revived. And so all the nurses and the doctors and, and the family and everyone sort of huddled around the sister. And as her, as her, uh, her health begins to improve, um, one of the nurses uh, turns around and notices the boy. And the boy is pale. He's sweating and he's trembling. He looks terrified. And so the nurse goes over to the boy and says, is everything okay? Are you all right? And the boy looks up bravely at the nurse and says, when will I start to die? See, they didn't do a very good job explaining to the little boy that you walk away from a blood transfusion. He thought he was giving up all of his blood so that his sister could live. Imagine that kind of selfless love to give up all of your blood so that someone else could live. That's what Jesus did for you. That's what Jesus did for you. You were dead in your transgressions. And the door swung open. And there was standing Jesus. And he said, come on, let's go. So, he is the one that has the right. Jesus is our rightful redeemer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.